You're listening to Vernacular Podcast. All right, welcome back to Vernacular Podcast. This is another episode of Vernacular. And I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. And we are here with uh, actually family members. So Skyler and Noel. Skyler's my brother, Skyler Crippen, and his wife, Noel. They live in the D.C. area. They actually just visited us here in Austin a couple weeks ago, and that was a lot of fun. They got to hang out with us and our girls. But uh, we thought it'd be fun to have them on the podcast and talk to them about the work that they're doing. Noel is a physician's assistant at Shipley, uh, Shipley Memorial Hospital. It's actually Sibley, but that's okay. You're close. You know, like it's like like an 80% solution. (laughs) Sibley uh, Hospital in DC. And she's also doing some really interesting work at a pregnancy center. And we want to talk to her about that. And Scatter's a consultant at Deloitte. And we're going to talk to him not actually about his work today, but about one of his, his main passions, which is rock climbing. So guys, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks, guys. I'm excited to be here. So our longtime listeners will know that way back when, uh, going on two years ago now, we did a special topic episode, and it was on abortion. And we are very pro-life and are very interested in how we can support women who are in tough situations and uh, maybe find themselves in an unexpected or a difficult pregnancy. And, well, that's kind of why we wanted to have you on the show today, because you, we know that you feel the same way, and you're really doing some good work in this area, and we want to talk to you about what that's like. And we've covered the topic from a legal standpoint, but not yet from the other side of the coin, helping women through medicine and through general support. So just can you tell us about the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center and what your role is there, Noelle? Sure. So I started out as a volunteer lay counselor, so to speak. Um, and then once they found out I was medical, they told me they had been thinking about trying to get an ultrasound ministry started. And lo and behold, I am the one in charge of starting that off. So we are in the early stages of trying to add the ultrasound aspect to our ministry. But prior to that, we have not been medical. We do free urine pregnancy testing, but we're not technically a medical clinic. And we are very open with women about that. Often when I hear about crisis pregnancy centers, I hear about them kind of shaming women into choosing to have their babies rather than to have abortions, telling them about how terrible they are if they have abortions. Is that what you guys do? What's your approach? How do you talk to women who are in a crisis pregnancy situation? That's absolutely not what we are about. Um, We are a faith-based organization, and we're very open about that. It's published right on our website. Um, We tell women that up front. Um, And I think most of our clients do know that, but we don't just want to reach Christians or people who believe in some sort of God, whatever that God may be. Um, We just want to reach everyone because at the end of the day, we're all human and we all deal with the same human struggles and emotions. And any one of us could be faced with an unexpected pregnancy. Um, We don't really like the term crisis pregnancy center, even though that's technically what we would be classified under. It's just more like an unexpected pregnancy. Um, And so, so often we'll see women coming in and they have a quote unquote crisis pregnancy because it's not planned, you know, like maybe they don't have a stable relationship with the man or they're not financially ready or whatever it may be. And so they come into us um, during a time of need and we want to just make sure that Um, They know they're loved, they're supported. We want to be able to discuss with them um, like the different options when they're looking at going into pregnancy, whether that's that they keep the baby, 
um, whether they end up giving it up for adoption or if they do end up aborting. We just want to make sure they have the back straight because a lot of abortion centers, unfortunately, are not upfront and honest about what actually happens during an abortion. So who who do you see in these centers? I mean, you mentioned people who have unexpected pregnancies, but what's what's sort of the average, I guess, uh, socioeconomic background of these women? Or maybe you can share with us even some stories from your time working there, obviously without divulging any anything confidential. Sure. Yeah. I'd say the vast majority of our clients are African-American women. Um, we do see a lot of Hispanics. We see a lot of immigrants. And we do see the occasional white person or other minority as well. Um, and I think that's just based on where we're located in the city. Um, it also helps that we're easily metro accessible in our at our center. Um, there's two metro buses that stop right outside of our center, actually. Um, and we're about a mile away from the nearest train station. But yeah, mostly minority women. Um, unfortunately, they're the ones who've been targeted most by the abortion clinics. And often, unfortunately, if you look at statistics, they're often the ones who end up in the lower socioeconomic classes. Um, and so we aim to serve them and their families um, throughout their pregnancy and then also throughout the first few years of a child, their ch- children's lives. Um, I think that's kind of a misconception that we're only there for pregnancy or only out there shaming women, as you said, Sally. We depend a lot on donations from our very generous community and church support. Um, So we are able to give out a ton of material resources. That's actually the primary thing we do. So we get women clothes and diapers and formula and bottles and blankets and basically everything they may need for their children from birth to up till four years of age is what we take donations for. And then you said you just recently started providing ultrasounds. How does that work? Is it an ultrasound van? So we're not actually providing them yet. We are going to be doing so in the coming months, though. For right now, we're just going to be providing them at the center. We are doing it in hopes of being able to just kind of bring people in earlier in the pregnancy rather than just before the baby's born or later. We would love to be able to establish a relationship with them sooner. Um, There's a little bit of a pro-life motivation with that as well. They've shown that statistically women, once they've seen their baby on an ultrasound, that they choose life more commonly than they choose abortion. Also, not only that, even if they do go out and have an abortion later, then at least they've seen an ultrasound and it's been given to them for free rather than getting charged for it at an abortion clinic. And when we do them, we'll be doing them at the center. We do not have a van. We're not looking to turn into a mobile clinic yet at this time. I don't know, maybe it'll be something we do down the road, but definitely not in the works yet. So just to take a little more personal tack, why do you call yourself pro-life or do you use that term? And if you do, why do you call yourself pro-life? You know, it's funny because had you asked me this two years ago, I actually would have said I was not. I definitely was all for pro-baby and it broke my heart when I would see women choosing abortions. But I actually worked in an emergency room in an inner city population, and most of the women I was serving had had at least one abortion. A lot of women had STDs. You know, I was taking care of 15, 16-year-old girls with STDs or unplanned pregnancies, seeing women coming in after being abused or, you know, the man's out of the picture, whatever it may be. And just as I was more and more exposed to that, it just really turned my heart towards these women and that population, which is 
really why I got involved in the ministry. And the more I learn, I just realized, you know, like abortion, it seems like an easy decision now when you're expect when you're facing an unplanned pregnancy. But then I've seen so many women come back hurting after them. And it doesn't even have to be the next day. It could be something that comes up years down the road. I one time had a patient who was in her 50s or 60s crying about the fact that she'd had an abortion in the past. Um, and so it's just really amazing to see the trauma that comes with it. Even though I am pro-life now and ideally would love women to just never feel the need to have to have a, an abortion, I also recognize that that's just not realistic. Um, and I would never shove my beliefs down someone else's throat, but I just want people to know like, that they are loved and cared for. And even if they leave our pregnancy center and go out and have an abortion later that day, they're still welcome. I think it's such an important point that doesn't get talked about enough, but we, I, I feel like whenever we talk about abortion, we often get stuck in this back and forth that you're either you know, anti-baby or pro-baby. And that doesn't recognize the more complex issue that that you just brought up, that a lot of women find themselves in unexpected pregnancies and don't know what to do, don't know how they're going to provide for a baby, can't see themselves living that life. And uh, I, I guess that leads to the question of what can we do to help women who are in that situation? And maybe supporting the work that you do at Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center is one way to do that. But what else would you recommend? How can we sort of help women in these situations feel supported? Particularly short of having a medical degree like you do. Right. Yeah, I am one of the rare ones, actually, who does have a medical degree and is am working in this kind of work. There's a lot of lay people who work in the field. Um, you know, you can do anything from donating items like used or new um, baby clothes and strollers or whatever other baby gear you may have, maternity clothes. You could get involved at your local pregnancy center. There's always so many different tasks to be done, and it doesn't even have to be direct client work. It could be organizing the donations or being a receptionist or maintenance kind of work. We also, at our center, we provide free birthing classes, parenting classes. So if that's your thing and your passion, like I'm sure there's a home for you at your local pregnancy center as well. At your pregnancy center, do you need a degree to counsel women, or do you have classes where people who are just interested in, in helping women talk through these issues can help them? There's a few intern counselors who we have, but most of us do not have any sort of counseling background. It's something we just get trained in on the job. And we do, I think it was a week, maybe a little bit more of training beforehand, and they use some sort of training manual. I don't remember who published it, um, but there is that sets curriculum for training for these sorts of centers that I imagine most centers probably use. Before we move on from this, Noelle, are there any stories you can share with us from women that you've worked with at the center? One of the recurring um, stories I guess you'll see is just the women who come in hurting and they are alone and scared. And I feel like this is so many of the women I've talked with. Things are financially difficult. You know, we're in D.C. and things are politically tense in this area, too. And we serve a minority population. So I've worked with a lot of women who are fearing what kind of implications that would have. And to just be able to, like, sit and talk with these women and sometimes literally be a shoulder to cry on, to sit and pray with them, they leave different women. And we just had our annual banquet a few weeks ago. That's a big fundraising banquet. And one of the clients who's got up and talked, 
the way she described it, she's like, these people at the pregnancy center are prayer warriors and they know how to pray. And to just be able to be there with that person. And again, like, cause we never push our faith on anyone either. So I don't pray with every client. It's only if they're open to it and wanting it, but whatever kind of support, that's just the general overall recurring theme that you're seeing. And that always touches me every day that I'm there. Thanks so much, Noelle. Thanks for telling us more about Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center. And I hope that our listeners, if they're interested in helping women in these situations, will be inspired to check out their own local pregnancy center. Thanks so much for letting me come on and talk about it. I appreciate it. And now let's transition to your lesser half, Skylar. And I can say that because he's my brother. So <laughs> That's right. It's true. It's okay. All right, Skylar, well, welcome to Vernacular. Uh, you're on today because you love climbing. And I know that because I'm your brother and you're always out uh, hitting these slopes or I guess the faces of the rocks, any, any, any chance you get. And I've seen firsthand how it's really sort of transformed your life in several ways. And I wanted to talk to you about that. But speaking as your brother, I can say this is the longest lasting phase you've had. And I think it might even be at the point where I would say this is not even a phase anymore. I think you've really settled into this passion, but you've always been kind of an adrenaline junkie. And I remember growing up, you were going to be a pro snowboarder and then a pro. Well, I think actually first you were going to be a pro dirt biker in motocross yep. and then, and then snowboarder and then a downhill mountain biker, then BMX biker, then bodybuilder. Fortunately, that was a, that, that, that was the shortest lived phase. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> and, uh, that was a, that was a dark past. <laughs> and, and now you've been into climbing for years now and, uh, you're, you're just sort of taken off with this and it, it's been really cool to see. I'm not, I mean, we went climbing the other day when you were here in Austin and it was a lot of fun, but you, you are way better than me, way more advanced than me on the rocks. So it was pretty cool to see, but I guess just to start off, how'd you get into climbing? What prompted your interest in this? How'd you get started? Yeah. So as you, as you mentioned, I've sort of transitioned through all of these different sports, right. And, um, I guess sort of what led me to go from the, you know, mountain biking to the BMX was that I moved from the wonderful state of Colorado to the, in my opinion, not at all wonderful state of Pennsylvania. Uh, and I was living in Philadelphia where, I mean, if you're familiar with geography, you know that there, there are not too many mountains around there to be mountain biked on. So I started riding BMX and then, you know, the BMX learning curve is just too steep. Um, and so that was, that was probably my shortest lived phase. And that's when I got into mountain biking or I'm sorry, bodybuilding. And thankfully the bodybuilding was, I think the second shortest lived phase, <laughs> but the, the bodybuilding, you know, the one good thing that came out of that was that, um, I basically found a love for fitness and I started a personal training business. Um, and you know, that was fun that got me through college is a different story. But, um, one of the clients that I had during that time was just getting back into shape. Uh, and they had been you know, rock climbing a few years before and they found a group on a local climbing gym and they said, Hey, do you want to go with me? And I said, yeah, sure. I'll check it out. Um, I'd never been before. I went once, fell in love with it. And it just so happened that, you know, at this time I was really kind of getting over the whole, you know, working out for the sake of working out. And so when I, you know, saw how, um, you know, dynamic the movements are in climbing and how much strength is involved. Um, I think it was just a, an instant romance for me right away. And I saw really how much farther I could take that than 
you know, just lifting weights for repetitions every day. Awesome. I love it. Uh, and when you were here a couple weeks ago, I remember you and Noel, you as well, actually talking to me about, uh, the climbing community and you, you, you guys were encouraging me to get more involved in the climbing gym here because you said it's a great way to meet people and, and make friends because the climbing community has a special vibe to it. So talk to me a little bit more about, about that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of my favorite things about it is just how easy it is to meet people there. Um, including my wife, actually, I met, I met Noel at our climbing gym. Pretty cool. But the climbing community is, is probably the, the coolest group of people um, that I've ever had the privilege of hanging out with because, you know, everyone who's a climber is united by a common, uh, basically a common way of living life because climbing is more than just for most people, right? For most people, it's more than a hobby. It's, um, it is something that you embody or you become a, a climber just as much as you are a you know, race car driver or golfer. You know, you, you go to a gym, you meet people. You know, people are always willing to talk about, you know, whatever project you're climbing or, you know, you've gone to the same world-class climbing destination. So you have those experiences to share. Or, you know, if you go down to New River Gorge and you're staying in the campsite there, um, you're sitting around a campfire and you're talking to other people about their climbing experiences from around the world. And everybody wants to hear your story and your perspective, what you've experienced climbing, whatever, you know, project you're working on, you know, whatever route you're trying to climb or kind of a rope you use or what's your experience with this, you know, belay jacket or, you know, whatever it is, there's, there's always something to be talked about within climbing. Another really cool thing about climbers is that, you know, a lot of them have great stories to tell and that they, you know, don't have a job. They haven't had a job in three years. Sometimes somehow they survive on $25 a week. They live out of the back of a van. Um, but then you also have people, you know, like me that actually have a real job and wear a suit and tie to work every day. Um, but still manage to get out and climb. So you just have like such a huge range of different types of people, um, that are all climbing. And so I I think, um, the diversity of the climbing community, uh, is just another thing that makes it so great. In my brief experience, just meeting some people at climbing gyms, they all seem really humble too, because uh, I'm guessing because it's, it's not really a sport that lends itself to competition. I mean, I know there are climbing competitions, but I think in general, the, the essence of climbing is you versus the mountain, right? And, uh, it, it just strikes me. I mean, in a lot of circles, I think, uh, well, there's this comedian, I know, you know, him, this guy, or Brian Regan, and he has this bit about how you can never tell a two wisdom teeth story because, you know, about having two wisdom teeth removed, because as soon as you do the four wisdom teeth, people are going to gun you down at the pass because they'll tell their story about four wisdom teeth. And, uh, when you're telling me about, you know, hanging around the campfire and people sharing stories in my head, I'm thinking, oh, like the, the, I would expect these people to just want to one up each other, but but you're saying it's it's not the case that they're actually just all kind of very supportive and chill mellow guys who are sharing their their stories of personal conquest not competition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean there's always that guy, right? But <laughs> Sure. Yeah, the four wisdom yeah. tooth guy, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Or in Brian Regan's words, the guy who walked on the moon. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The me monster. That's right. So what if you are interested in climbing, and this all sounds interesting, but it also sounds entirely intimidating, and you wonder, how could I get started? Do they need to take a class? And I'm not asking for myself because you're not going to see me rock climbing anytime soon, but for those people who are listening who are interested, do you need to take a class? Should you join a gym? What what would you recommend? Should you just try to scale a mountain without any training or ropes first? <laughs> yeah, yes. if you've ever if you've ever heard of a little hill called Everest, um, 
just just oh, go perfect. run up that yeah, real quick. The, yeah, the baby, the baby hill. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, it's funny you should ask that, Sally, because actually, I you see these questions on um, the Reddit subreddit for climbing all the time. No, you don't need a class. You don't need instructions. You don't need anything um, because again, the community is just so friendly and and welcoming to new climbers. You just go to your local climbing gym, rent a pair of shoes, uh, and just go have fun, meet some people, enjoy it. Um, that's, I mean, just go for it. That's cool. Yeah. I think that would be encouraging to someone too, who didn't want to worry about a big, like upfront cost. Right. <laughs> and so yeah. it's great that you can just like rent the supplies that you need and then kind of go from there. Cause I'm sure at yeah. some point you're going to be, there's a lot of money you're going to, you could, you could put into it if you wanted to, but it doesn't have to start off that way. Right. I mean, it, my wife loves the fact that I spend all my money on climbing gear. So you know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> for Doesn't, me it's never been an issue everyone would appreciate that <laughs> exactly i mean that's why it works <laughs> <laughs> just to fund the climbing yeah. habit yeah exactly well i'll just tell this story briefly to our listeners so when we did go climbing here in austin a couple weeks ago and skylar noel were visiting we go to this climbing gym and it was a blast a lot of fun and we finished and i was just like okay let's go get in and out and uh scott and noel were like oh let's look at the shop like let's see all the climbing gear they have and stuff and then we walked out after buying like scatter bought like a finger massager for his his tendons and uh noel and scatter I, I forget who it was who wanted this but got like this climbing balm for for your hands to help them like patch up calluses and stuff and uh scatter looks at me and he's like you see where all our money goes now <laughs> <laughs> but it does, it does seem like there's a low barrier to entry to the sport and you were joking, Scatter, because it's really not that expensive. I mean, no, it's yeah. I think I think you guys spent like ten bucks in there, so it really wasn't a ton of money. My first pair of shoes I got on sale at a you know local outdoor store for fifty dollars, and I wore them for I think a year and a half um, until I was you know literally uh, scraping my toe and getting my toe bloody on the wall. Ooh. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean you can you can get started for a very small fee. I do want to ask, I want Noelle to answer this question, but Noelle, so if you are a woman and you are interested in rock climbing, are you going to go into a gym and just see mostly guys or what do you, what would you say the breakdown is? Cause I know you're, you're a great climber too, not necessarily as avid as Skylar, but did you find that kind of intimidating when you first started rock climbing? What would you say to women who are listening and interested in rock climbing? Honestly, in the rock gym, it's probably pretty close to a 50-50 breakdown, I'd bet. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, there's plenty of ridiculously strong women who are just, in my mind, motivational to be a better, stronger climber. But there's always the beginners. And like Skylar said, it's just such a friendly community. And um, I actually really enjoy climbing with women just because Skylar and I are very different climbers. Um, and he's obviously a better climber than me. Yeah. Don't be intimidated at all because you're going to find a home. You're going to find friends there. You're going to find a cheerleader, so to speak. I think most female climbers like that aspect of it more than the guys tend to. Um, but yeah, just give it a go and I'm sure you'll meet a lot of really awesome people. Well, I'm going to pose this next line of questioning to both of you guys. And, um, for our listeners sake, I've cleared this topic with Skyler ahead of time and he's willing to talk about it. So Skyler, uh, and Noel, I want your comments on this as well. I know that, um, climbing has been a big difference maker for you in terms of mental health and, um, just in an effort to remove stigma around mental health, um, Skyler and I both at various times, um, 
but including now, I mean, often struggle with anxiety. And uh, this, I know, has been something that's made a big difference in your life in that way, Skyler. So, uh, and, and I know you're not alone in this. It'll, there are a lot of people who do this type of uh, climbing or a similar activity just to alleviate some of that anxiety and sort of improve their mental health. So can you talk a little bit about maybe some of those struggles and how climbing's helped? Yeah, absolutely. I'll be honest, it doesn't make much sense. Um, but, you know, I think one of the things that I struggle with on a daily basis is, you know, something called uh, GAD, which is just generalized anxiety disorder, which, um, you know, means sometimes I wake up in the morning and I just feel like I'm about to have a panic attack, you know, and that kind of goes on for the rest of the day. Um, or it'll just kind of show up at random times throughout the day. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I think when I discovered climbing, uh, it was, you know, it was just initially just another way to exercise, another way to, you know, get your endorphins going, which, you know, is a good way in and of itself to manage anxiety. Um, but it, it grew into more than that. And I, it, you know, it took me a while to figure out exactly why this is. And, um, I, I guess why I feel so at peace while climbing. And I think it, it comes down into basically <clears throat> when you're climbing on the wall, um, and you're, you're doing something that is so difficult in multiple aspects, right? You have, you know, the actual physical strength part that's challenging you. Um, you have the aerobic part, uh, and you have the mental part. Um, and when you're being challenged from all those different directions, there's, there's no room in your mind for any sort of, um, doubt or clutter or confusion. Um, you know, you're not, you're not up there wondering whether or not you, you unplugged the curling iron that morning when you did your hair, right? You're just kind of everything that is not relevant to that exact moment in time just sort of, um, melts away and becomes irrelevant. And so for me, it just is the perfect way for me to, um, clear my head, uh, and to basically, I guess, reset the, the scale, the mental, emotional scale in my head back to zero. Um, and so, you know, when I do that, you know, it helps me clear my head. Um, it just, it makes me feel better. And then, you know, when I'm not on the wall and I'm thinking about, um, yeah, I guess when, I, if I'm just having a rough day and I'm feeling anxious, um, you know, I, I can't obviously just, you know, leave work, take off my suit and tie and go, you know, climb a wall and, and get back to that state or whatever. Um, but even just being able to, you know, mentally step back, you know, pretend like I'm there and, you know, think about it. Um, it just helps me, I, I guess, process through, you know, whatever, you know, nonsense I'm dealing with on a, on any particular day. Does that, does that answer a little bit of your question? No, it totally does. Yeah. And I think that last point too, is important that even when you're not, not on the wall, just the the process of mentally being on the wall helps mm -hmm. a lot, right? I mean, it's what an athlete calls mental reps. So when you're injured, you still go through mental reps just to stay in the game, so to speak. You know, you, you understand what's going on and you mentally project yourself there. And that's a pretty cool, I think a pretty cool thing to have in your toolkit for dealing with anxiety, just to be able to have that, you know, I mean, maybe it's like what, what, what we used to refer to as, uh, you know, having your safe space, right? Like just go to your safe space, you know, think of that place where nothing can touch you. And, um, this may be a little bit different cause it's not really safe to be on the side of a mountain, like a hundred feet up, but in a way like that's, that's a safe space cause nothing can touch you there, you know, and it's just you and right. the mountain just, uh, quiet, you know, you hear the wind and nothing else. And that's a pretty cool place to go. So, yeah. And yeah, I, I, I would like to add, it's, it's very interesting because. Uh, we were talking about the climate community earlier, but the climate community also 
you know, absolutely does seem to attract these these types of people that struggle with um, you know different anxiety disorders or um, ADHD. And I'm not, you know, I, again, I can only assume it's because they've found um, you know comfort in the same things I have, and that, that's why they flock towards it. But uh, I actually found a, an article. <clears throat> it found it a long while ago, but uh, it was written by a guy who also has um, you know, bipolar and ADHD and anxiety. Um, and he was saying how you know, climbing is great for him and how it's helped other people in the, in the same spot. So it's, it's just interesting that this particular sport has attracted so many people with different types of problems. Yeah, well, I think that's a great summary. And hopefully we've uh, done a good advertisement for our listeners to get involved in climbing. So uh, if you're listening out there and this sounds like something you want to get involved in, then uh, take Scott and Noel's advice and head to your local climbing gym, rent a pair of shoes, hop on the wall, meet some people and start learning about it. Uh, very low barriers to entry, and it's a lot of fun. And I can say with certainty that it is because I did it two weeks ago with Scott or Noel, and I got a five-punch pass, so I'm going back, and I've already gone around to people my work and been like, hey, do you want to come rock climbing with me? It's going to be really fun. <laughs> awesome. So it's just going to be a bunch of amateurs, like, you know, being, you know, risking life and limb on the wall as we try to attack routes that are way too difficult for us to <laughs> conquer. Yeah, it's, it's good, though. We're all beginners at some point, right? That's right. Exactly. Um, well, guys, thanks so much for joining us. If our listeners want to see a little bit more of the climbing outdoors action um, that Skyler and Noel do on a regular basis, you can go to Instagram and check out Skyler's account at Skyler Crippen. Um, Noel, I, I don't think you post as much outdoor stuff, do you, on yours? I've posted like 20 pictures in the last five years, so my account's not that Okay, great. yeah. So I'll just, <laughs> I'll just direct you to Skyler's account. You can see um, stuff that Skyler and Noel do. And the most recent picture, I think, is the climbing center we went to last weekend. It is the Crux Climbing Center. Head to at Scott or Crippen. You can look at the link in the show notes. It's there. Uh, Scott or Noel, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for sharing about climbing. Noel, thank you very much for your work at the Pregnancy Center there and for sharing uh, with us more about that. It's really valuable work that you do, and we are very appreciative and supportive. Thanks so much for having us, guys. Have a good night, guys. guys. All right, that does it for another episode. <laughs> Sally's laughing at me. Why are you laughing at me? What's so funny? Just because you were enjoying that final beat. Of I was that waiting for my cue. Music. Yeah, as soon yeah. as that music ends, boom, that's when I jump in. <laughs> so, speaking of jumping in, actually, that's a terrible segue. This is nothing yeah. to do with jumping in. Speaking but... of nothing we were just speaking of, we hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Yes, and we hope that while you were gathered around that turkey table with all of your family, you talked about your favorite podcast vernacular. And spread the word. And if you didn't, you can make it up to us by spreading the word at Christmas. <laughs> or by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Yes, please do. We love ratings and reviews. And it helps us get better. It also helps us know that people care. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and it helps us get noticed on Apple Podcasts. That's right. So if you enjoy the show, please rate us. Give us a review. Let us know what we're doing. You can also reach out on Twitter at VernacularPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash VernacularPodcast, or email. Yes, let us know how much you enjoyed this episode and other episodes. You can check out this episode and all other previous episodes at VernacularPodcast.com as well. And if you were really busy over Thanksgiving and didn't notice that we released a holiday episode right beforehand, you should definitely go back and listen to it because it is a hoot. Yeah, it's fun. 
And this was fun too. And next episode will also be fun. We're going to talk about The Crown next episode, yes. which is coming out December 8th, season two. Oh. Get ready for a season one recap. So excited. Next week. Yes, with, with Catherine and Jordan Short. And until then, for Vernacular Podcast, I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great week. I'm by your side